0: Bless the Lord, it's good to see you tonight. Uh, I'm glad you came out and joined us as we uh, start this new series. For the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about, uh, throughout the month of September, we're going to be talking about the parables. And we're only going to be able to hit certain ones of them. We're going to hit about eight different parables before the end of the year. So, let's stand together today and let's take a look at what the Word of God says We're going to look in Matthew chapter 13. And uh, let's just open our hearts to the Word of God as we read it today. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Now, when you hear a statement like that, it's a reminder to us that uh, these chapters are put in there by men hundreds of years later after it was written. What's happened before this is uh, it's been a Sabbath day. The Pharisees have given Jesus, tried to give Jesus a hard time. He's gone ahead and done and served and proven himself again and again to them. And his mother and his brothers have actually shown up, and they know that what he's doing is going to get him in trouble. And they have tried to get him and get him to leave with them, and he has refused. And then it says, "'That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying,' But other seeds fell on good soil and produced a grain, produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he said to them, and he, and he, and he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. He will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and their ears and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed, he indeed bears fruit and yield and, and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Father, we thank you uh, for your word today. We want to be people who hear and understand. So we, we take the time today to study these words, to open our heart to them, to look within ourselves to see how they apply to us so that we can walk uh, in a right place with you. Father, have mercy upon us and reveal your will to us each and every day, and help us to be a people who are protected from what the enemy would do in our life and what this world would do in our life. Let us be a people, Father, who walk in steadfast faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a moment, say hello uh, to a few people around you, and then you can be seated. Brothers and sisters, let, let, me, uh, let me just give you a warning. Always be careful when, when someone in a, in a book or in a teaching begins to extrapolate out of the Word something that it doesn't clearly say. Uh, many, many times uh, people will do that and they will say, well, I've been studying the Greek. And they've, they've discovered something in the Greek that 2,000 years of theologians have missed. People who've given their life to studying the Greek and the Hebrew and, and, and studying the Word. And, and, and they've all missed it all these years. And now somebody who's had, you know, a couple of years of, the, of, of Hebrew or Greek and some Bible college someplace or picked it up online, suddenly they have an insight that nobody else has. I would just warn you to be careful with that. In this passage in particular, Jesus says to us, he gives us the parable, and then when he comes down to it, he says, this is what it means. I found it a little disconcerting this week. I've read a a couple of writers about this passage, and I found them bringing things out that it just simply doesn't say. And and I was kind of okay. Well, maybe they know some things or something, but then you get down to that passage where says Jesus says, "This is what it means." You you can't hardly miss that uh, in this particular story. What we're doing today is we're beginning to study the uh, on parables now. Parables. The word parable comes from a Greek word that means a placing beside. And and so most of us understand that this is, a parable is an illustration from life that is connected to a spiritual truth. It helps us understand it. It helps us see it. It helps us get it. It helps us remember it. It allows us to learn deep spiritual things from common, everyday life things. And we've got to be a little careful in this because Jesus says in this passage that some things are hidden from people who don't pay attention, who have let their heart grow dull, who've allowed themselves to grow dull by the world And usually that dullness comes from a world that is impacting the way they see things. As we talked a couple of weeks ago, this cautionary tale of being careful of how culture is pushing and influencing our life. Now, the first three Gospels are known as the Synoptic Gospels, and they contain right around in the neighborhood of 30 parables. Uh, some of those parables are just found in one of the books. This one is found in a couple, in three of the books. Uh, but about 30 different parables overall. The Gospel of John has none. He has no parables at, at all. They have some embryonic kind of things where he will talk about Jesus being a rock, or Jesus being a seed and 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 you kind of he draws a word picture for us to help us get a picture in our in our mind, but there's no actual parable there. Now here's a caution again. You cannot analyze parables like you do other passages. A parable is still an illustration. So let's take a simply a look at. Get, I'll give you an illustration of that. So you look at the passage today, and as we go through this tonight, you'll see four groups of people. Three really miss the gospel; they miss it, and the fourth one gets it and bears fruit. And you know. It, it, You can't dig into that and say, oh, well, then three-fourths of the people that we'll witness to or share faith with are going to miss the gospel and only a fourth of them are going to get it. No, he's not saying that at all. So you've got to be careful as you read through a parable that you're not reading things into it that he is not saying, that he's not telling us, but that we're getting the things out of it that he is saying to us our job is to seek out the truth and the parables because parables as he says in this passage reveal how the kingdom of God works see this is what we're calling you to this is what discipleship does is it calls you into the kingdom of God It calls you into living in the rules of the kingdom of God. When we get saved, we are born again and the kingdom of God begins to reign in us. And now we learn to submit to the kingdom of God, to grow in the kingdom of God, and then to order and direct our lives as the kingdom of God would have us to direct our lives. So uh, again, I want to make this clear. What is the kingdom of God? It's God's rules and God's order. I've gone to countries where we've been warned when we got there. Here's what you can say, and here is what you can't say in this country. You're not in America anymore. If you say these kind of things, you will, if, they, if, if the authorities hear about it, you will at the very least get thrown out of the country. You may get arrested and have a really hard time. What's he, what are they saying? You're in a different kingdom. And In America, you can, as if you've been watching any of the hearings today uh, with, with Judge Cat, you can get up and protest and say whatever you want and scream and yell and Act any way, and you're not gonna, you know, end up in jail for a long time. You're gonna, they're gonna haul you out and maybe lock you up for a few hours, but that's about it. But that's not the way it is in other places, we don't have those freedoms in other places. And so, what what Jesus is presenting to us when he presents the kingdom is how things work under God's rule under God's way so you know, we say simple things like prayer changes things in the natural sense of things that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense but in the spiritual th- sense of things understand that God has put an order down then prayer changes things and, I, and I'll tell you I think our prayer lives would be a lot richer and a lot more, there'd be a lot more time spent if we really believed, if we really believed that this is a kingdom of God rule and things change when we pray. You know, if you, can I get kind of personal here? If you watch some Christians, you'd think that God had said, if you want to change the world, gripe a lot. If you want to really help people, gossip about them a lot. That's not what he says, is it? He calls us to a different way of living. It's it's the, the rules of the kingdom of God. The clearest way I can help us understand, I've shared this many times. If you go to a new company and you get a new job, you've been in an old company, maybe you've worked there for a long time, And they have the way they give you time off. They have the way they pay you. They have rules for how they do things, what paperwork has to get turned in. They've got all this stuff. And so they may give you an employee handbook that explains all the details of the benefits you're going to get and how you do certain things or something bad happens, what you're supposed to do and all of this stuff. And now you go to a new company and you walk into that new company, you've got a new job and they hand you a new employee manual and that's the rules for that company. And if in the old company they paid you every Friday and if in the new company they say, we pay you every other week, you can go looking for your check every Friday all you want. It's not coming till every other week. Because it's a different what? It's a different kingdom. It's a different kingdom. This is what Jesus has brought into the world. He has brought this new kingdom into the world. And eventually, right now, we are a part of that new kingdom as believers. We're supposed to learn how to live in, how to walk in, how to function in it, and how to do life in it. And we're going to be in conflict with the old kingdom. The day is going to come at the end of the tribulation when Jesus is going to come back, and guess what he's going to do? He's going to set up his millennial kingdom. And he, things will be ruled by the rules of his kingdom. Right now, we get to live in him. right now because he, he looks at us and he says, hey, I know the old way says, hate your enemies, you know, curse those who curse you, but I tell you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. He's calling us into a new kingdom. He's calling us to live a new way. He's calling us to give up the old rules. Hey, I know your flesh wants you to get revenge. I'm telling you, lay down revenge. Let me handle that. He's calling us to live A new way. And now he tells us that the secrets of his kingdom are discovered in the parables. That we learn things about how his kingdom is supposed to function and the fullness of life that is supposed to be ours inside of these parables. So we need to know We need to know the parables. That's why we're looking at it for the next several weeks. So we take a look at this this first one, and it's it's important to understand one aspect of it as we dive into it. Uh, In those days in Palestine, they planted differently than we do. We plow up the ground then we put the seed into the ground, and then we wait and we reap the harvest. If you're going to have a garden, the first thing you're going to do is what? You're going to till up that ground, plow up that ground, get it ready to plant the seed in it. Farmers go out, first thing you see them doing, they're plowing up the ground, getting ready to go through and plant the seed in nice, neat rows. That's not the way it happened in Palestine in that day. In Palestine, in that day, they planted, they spread the seed, then they plowed the seed into the ground, and then they waited for the harvest. They didn't do it the way we do it now. So the man who was... You know, spreading the seed. He was not being careless. His field may have ground in it that since the last harvest, people had walked through and trampled down, but that's his field. That's where he's going to plant his seed. And he goes and he spreads seed over all of it. There may be places where beneath the surface, that there are weeds there and things that have, been plowed, that have been plowed under from the past there. And he doesn't see all that. He's, he plants the, he's planting the seed, throwing the seed out. Certainly, he's not just throwing his seed amongst a bunch of rocks. If you've ever been to Israel, I've been, been, been blessed to be there a few times. You'll go through Israel and you will see their fields. And many, many of their fields will have what looks like rock fences all around the field. It's a very rocky area a lot of Israel will be. And what they have done is they've gone in and they've taken the rocks that have come up out of the ground out of the field and placed them on the edges and you almost have fences of rocks. So he's talking about the rocks, they knew there was rock and limestone down just underneath the surface, and they couldn't even see it at that moment. They didn't even know it was there. But it was there. Now they have seen this. They have witnessed this. They have paid attention. This is a picture they have seen many times. They've seen a sower out on his field he's got a big sack over his shoulder full of seed and he's just throwing the seed everywhere he's just flinging it out there and he's going to come back at another time and try to plow that seed under for it to grow try to do something with it the seed that is sown represents the salvation message the sower is first of all jesus and second of all anyone who follows in his kingdom and sows the seed and the message that we get from this is the free the free sowing of the seed the sower is not looking and saying well They've been trampling that down. I'm not going to throw any seed over there. No. He's planning on plowing that, seed, that, that field up. He's planning on doing something there. He's planning on doing his best to get that down in the ground for it, to, for it to sow. He doesn't know everything that's done. So he is freely in his field sowing the seed. And it's a call for all of us to be a people who freely sow the seed of the gospel that we don't look and say, well, that guy's hard-hearted, or that guy's this, or that guy's that. That guy will never get it. No, our job is to pray and to sow the seed. It's God's job to come back and plow up the field, to bring conviction, to stir in the person's life. That's his job. That's not our job. We can't do that. We throw out the seed, and so we're called to throw out the seed. Now, there's Four different soils that that represent the hearts of people who hear the gospel. So let's let's look at those real quick. The first one is a rejecting heart. It's a heart that rejects the gospel when it hears it. The second is an emotional and self-serving heart and they're very excited about what's happening, and there's a self-serving motive inside of it. The third is a worldly heart that wants the benefit of the kingdom, but also wants the benefit of the world. And the fourth is the open heart. Now, this is important for us for a couple of reasons. It's important for us not to assume what our heart is, it's important for us to examine our hearts to see if we are in any danger of being one of these bad three instead of the good one. And it's important for us to watch over the hearts of those that we influence. To watch over them. This is, this is, these are the people that love us, care about us, I would say this is our children and our grandchildren. These are people we have great influence over. To watch them carefully, to see what kind of a heart are they developing, what is growing in them, and calling them and challenging them in their life to have an open heart to the gospel, to the things of the kingdom of God. To not let them excuse away their their bad actions, not let them excuse away the things that that will naturally come out of them that are hard-hearted, selfish, or evil in intent. We have to look and kind of tend our garden in that sense and make sure that we're, we're helping them have a soft heart. So let's look at these a little more closely. Those whose hearts represent the hard ground. The hard ground is the path that men walk on. I want you you to get that in in, in your mind because this is important for us to understand about ourselves and it's important for us to understand about the people that we love. This ground has been trampled down. One of the versions says, trampled down by men. They have walked on this ground so much that it is now hard path ground. I mean, you can see the difference between uh, a field that is a, a, a field that is open and that you can dig in easily and the, th- the seed can sink into easily, and a, and a path, a trail that people have been walking on that is now packed down. Now, it's packed down by men, trampled. The soil has been trampled down. What is this in in the spiritual sense? This is man's ideas without God. This is how men have trampled down the soil, whether that's in our life or in our family's lives. These are the people that influence us and influence our families. They can, if we're not careful, we can introduce into our life, or introduce into our families' lives, people who trample down the message. This can be you know it can be coaches. It can be teachers, it can be professors. It can be friends the person has grown to dismiss the teaching of the bible and they use their influence their actions in other people's lives to trample and to make the heart hard to the gospel sometimes moms and dads we surrender our children into people's hands who are trampling down the ground Sometimes we watch things on TV that come into our own life and trample down the ground, make us hard-hearted to the things of God, hard-hearted to the gospel. And one of the main things I think that really tramples it, sometimes we trample it down. If we live in hypocrisy in front of our families, Uh, and and, and we show hypocrisy in our lives, that shows them lives that are far from God. When I was a a youth pastor, I I learned I would rather have a kid in my youth group whose parents never profess faith than have a kid in my youth group whose parents came to church every week but lived the life of hypocrites. Now, the perfect thing is to have a kid in your youth group, whose parents loved God and served God and were praying we were showing an example of godliness in the home. But if it was just a parent bringing that kid to church and they were going out of there and they were, you know, a maniac out of there or they, they didn't have a godly principle in their life and they didn't live by those principles in their life, what were they doing? They were trampling down the ground in that kid's life. And the assumption of that kid, here's the assumption of the kid, You get a kid whose mom and dad scream and yell and cuss at home. They come to church with mom and dad and see them in church with everybody else who doesn't know how they're acting at home. And what do they assume? They assume all these other people are doing the same thing. They assume the preacher's doing the same thing. They see dad watching pornography at home. They assume all the guys are watching pornography at home. They assume the preacher's watching pornography at home you know they see fits of rage they, they think everybody's having fits of rage this is their normal gets planted on a picture of the church and their heart grows hard now it's, it's far better for that kid to come in and know my parents are far from god i wonder what this is like I wonder what families are like who aren't far from God. What I'm telling you is is we've got to be careful of two things. We have to be careful that through our actions and our lives, we don't trample the ground down. That we live consistent, God-ordered lives in the places God's given us so that we keep the ground soft for people to hear the gospel. And as people of influence, we want to make sure that the people we influence are not in places where the ground is being trampled down. Because when the ground gets trampled down, before the sower can get back to plow up the ground, they've all seen it. They have seen the birds in the air flying over the sower Where they can come down onto that hard path and steal the seed away. And that's exactly what the enemy does in those situations. The enemy uses that to snatch away the gospel. The second group are those whose hearts are filled with these rocky places just below the surface, it's just below the surface and they spring up receiving the Word. They're excited. Many, many times this person comes to everything. They're very visible in the church. Uh, They come. They're excited about what God has done in their life. They want to get in everything. They want to be a part of everything. And uh, they're really vocal about their commitment to Christ. And, And many, many times... Somebody wants to. I I know I've had it around here at times. Some new Christian comes in and they've had a, you know, they've they've discovered this new thing in Christ and they're they're trying to get it. They're, they're, They're talking about getting it. And somebody's sitting there saying, Oh, we need to get them up and share their testimony. And I'm sitting there going, No, you know, I'm really loving what I'm seeing. Let's just give it a little bit of time. Let's give it a little bit of time. Oh, they should be teaching a class someplace. No, they really shouldn't. They they should be leading a small group. No, they, they really they really shouldn't. What they should be, and they'll even come and say, "I want to lead a small group." And you've got to look at them, and go, "Why don't you be in one for about six months or a year?" Let's get through starting point first. Let's do a few other things first. Because what you what are you looking for? How deep is this? How deep is it? Is this person is this person really there? They may have heard the good news, but they've not heard the call of a new spirit. What's happened in many, many cases? This is a person who something really bad's been going on in their life. They've had some real struggles, and they come in, and people love them, which we should, people care about them, which we should. They hear a message of God's love, which they should. And boy, it sounds like the answer to everything. But it's about an inch deep. Because where they've heard this message, they've not heard the call of a new spirit. So maybe a few life-changing things have happened. Maybe, you know, maybe they've given up some things like Maybe they've given up smoking and oh, I quit smoking. God's help me quit smoking. Praise God. Hey, I'm coming to church all the time now. Praise God. Maybe they've given up, you know, maybe they had alcohol problems and they've given up alcohol. Maybe they've set some real strict lines, legalistic lines about the movies that they watch. But their heart's still full of anger and selfishness and pride hasn't gotten down to the center of who they are yet. They've got some new clothes on. But they haven't been transformed. They've not surrendered. Listen, this is so key. They have not surrendered their life to Christ. This person's life can go on sometimes for a long time. But they have not settled the issue of who belongs to. To who? God is just a a way to a better life now. Everything should work out smoothly for me now. They don't see their purpose as living for His glory, and that when we live for His glory, Sometimes we're tested. Sometimes God lets us go through things so that our faith can shine to the world around us. This person, the first time they have much turmoil in their life, these are the, these, this is where why comes at the center of our thoughts. Why has this happened to me? I've been a good guy. I've given my heart to God. I've been in church every week. Why is this bad thing happening to me? Why? God must not be real. Why? Why can that? How can God? I'm, I'm just so disappointed in God. I'm so disappointed in who He is. So when trouble comes, especially because of the gospel, the church member, this church member, gets caught or carried away when he's asked to support something which is evil. And he feels like he has to give it. You know, one of of the ladies in our church right now is working in a job. And, uh, and she's got this job and got a new boss. And the boss has asked her to support some things that are clearly not scriptural. Just clearly not scriptural. And, uh,. You know, I'm not going to name this person's you to be praying for, but she decided to make a stand that she would not do those things. I mean, she's clearly right. They're not scriptural things that, that it would be supporting that which is evil. And as she was, as we were talking about it, I said, listen, I said, what's going to happen? She says, well, I don't think they can fire me for this. I said, okay. But you understand a target is now on you. Your boss has asked you to do something that is their pet cause, and you have decided it's not righteous. And that's not going to go away. The enemy's going to remind that boss of that over and over again. Now listen, friends, sometimes God allows us to be in those places. We shouldn't be shocked by that. This has happened to Christians for the last 2,000 years. What makes us exempt from the tests and the trials of this world? We're going to get tested sometimes. It's going to be hard. I don't know what the outcome is. He asked me what I'd do if I said, I'd start looking for a new job if I was <laughs> you. That's what I'd do. I'd get out of there. But maybe God wants her to be there. But be ready because. If you do anything wrong, don't give them an excuse because if you give the enemy an excuse, he's going to come after you hard. But for the person who is the shallow person, the first time that happens, they're going to give in because, see, the gospel is all about life being easier for them. This is a person where they spring up, they get this excitement, they spring up, it's life for a moment, it springs up, it's so exciting, it's so good, it's happening right now, and life is so great, and they're not ready, the roots are not deep enough for them to sit and say, wait a second, I'm his servant, he's not mine, I'm here to give glory to him, and sometimes there will be tough days. Nobody has to jump up and say amen to that. Then there are those who want to fit in with the world. This is very seductive. Uh, Jesus teaches that the enemy comes and plants weeds in the garden. And and in this sense, this is a love for this world and, and specifically a love for money and the Bible warns us clearly about this and the great desires. Listen, is it evil to have money? No, it's not. When I was in, 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 uh, in seventh grade, my next-door neighbor boy uh, got cancer and died. I was in school the first week. It happened during the summer. I was in school the first week. Uh, sitting in, in gym class, a bunch of boys talking like a bunch of boys do. And uh, one of the boys said, well, he's in hell for sure. And I said, well, I'm just an eighth grader. I'm like, really, why? Well, he was rich, and everybody who's rich is going to hell. And I'm thinking, I live next door to him, so that doesn't bode well to me, for me. And I'm like, where in the world did you get that? And he, he comes to the scripture like this. The Bible doesn't say that. God may choose to bless you. It's not what he chooses to give you that's the issue. It's your passion and what you'll compromise to get it that is the issue. It's how you will sell your life to get it that is the issue. It's what you will compromise to get there that's the issue. It's what you'll sell out give up for your child to get there or to be popular or to fit in that is the issue that there's a, this love to be a part of the world instead of this willingness to say i'm going to work hard i'm going to do what i'm supposed to do but if if living for god gets in the way of that then i will i will lay that down to live for god i'll lay it down teaching our children listen the most important thing uh, in, in the world isn't to be the greatest athlete in the world. It isn't to be the, 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 greatest, uh, uh, the greatest student in the world. The most important thing in the world is to be the greatest child of God you can be. That's the most important thing, to live for God, to know God, to serve Him, to follow Him. So this love for the world, 1 Timothy 6 says this, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the, fa- from the faith, and pierce themselves with many pangs. Listen to what he said. A love for money, a craving for it. So what should we do? Who are we supposed to love? We're supposed to love God first and foremost. What are we supposed to crave for? The presence and the pleasure of God first and foremost. And when money takes that place, you've got a problem. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. When we have this in us, It's so easy for us to compromise our life or to push success into the lives and the thoughts of our family and for the success and the pursuit of this world to choke out what should be there first, which is a love for God and that craving for His presence. So, what happens if somebody's successful? God bless them. God's made people to be successful. He's made us so that we can we, 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 we do certain things. We're supposed to know we use it for the right things. It's not about us. It's about God using us to do the right things with it. Everything we have, we're called to be a steward of God in it. Finally, we have the good soil. And, and this is really important again. The mark of good soil is Fruit. The mark of good soil is fruit. Well, I say: some grows 30-fold, some grows 60-fold, some grows 100-fold. In Palestine, they were doing good to have, you know, 8-fold. So get 30, 60, and 100 was amazing to hear them. And God, Jesus was saying to them, listen, if you're good soil, you're going to bear some really, really phenomenal fruit. Now, what is the fruit we're supposed to bear well, first of all, it's the fruit of our nature, that our nature is supposed to bear the fruit of God. Galatians 5:22 says, "But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep step with the Spirit. So, one of the first things we're going to look at in our lives is hey, am I bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Am I bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Am I a joyful person? Am I a peaceful person? Do I love, have I learned to love people, all people? Do I love people differently now than I did when I got saved? Do I have a different way to joy now than when I first came to Christ? Do I have a different way to peace now? Is there a new peace in my life that passes understanding, that overcomes the turmoil of this world and lets me rest in peace? Have I become a person that's gentle with others? Am I growing in the fruit of the Spirit? This is one of the things to look at and say to yourself, am I good fruit? If you're sitting there today, and you're you're still the same old hateful, mean-spirited, nasty, unhappy person you were before you got saved, you may need to take a new look at the soil in your your life and come to Christ and say, forgive me, help me, change me, transform me. And if your excuse is, my dad was this way, so I'm this way. My family was this way, so I'm this way. This is the way I was raised. This is just my nature. You give up your excuses. Jesus came to die for you so you could be set free from all that. Amen? A new person. So we look to see what is the fruit of, in our nature. The next thing is the fruit of our actions. 1 uh, Corinthians uh, 1.9 says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and, and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, so that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled, listen, with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, we're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about the fruit of righteousness and the fruit of our works. Righteousness, in this sense, has to do with what we desire in us. Do I desire to do and be the right person? Am I growing in righteous desires? So do I care for people the right way? Do I treat people the right way? Do I, am I, do I abhor, you know, the temptation to lie or to steal or to cheat or to be unkind or to be mean to somebody? Do I feel a check in my spirit when that comes out of my life or Is there a sense of righteousness growing in me to make me a righteous person so that my actions will naturally flow out of a right heart and out of a right spirit? So now we've got the fruit of the Spirit growing in us. And we've got a desire for righteous actions. It wants to give honor to whom honors due. This righteous spirit, you know, it, it, it wants to show respect and be respectful. This righteous spirit wants to get along with others. This righteous spirit, you know, wants right things in their life. It doesn't want to be at war with everybody or anybody. It wants to be at peace if they can. Now, here's the third place. The fruit of our works, Ephesians 4.10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, One of the things I tell folks, you've heard me say many, many times, uh, you can retire from your job. That's okay you can retire from some sporting thing or a hobby that you did that's okay uh, there is no retirement from doing the work of the kingdom we call retirement parties for the kingdom funerals until your funeral comes god has a work for you to do now it may change it may not be the same. Mine will not always be to be the senior pastor at Calvary Church. It's going to change someday. I'll have another calling. I'll have some, there'll still be work to do. There'll still be things to do. My identity cannot be caught up in being the senior pastor at Calvary Church because that's not going to last forever, but as long as I'm on this earth, God's going to have work for me to do. And He does for you. So the question is, is, are you doing it? Are you bearing the fruit of the work you're called to do right now? And That's going to be different for every one of us in this room, according to our age and according to where we're at in school and according to you know, what our job is. There's going to be so many different things where God has placed you and where He gifts you, where He prepares you. But he places you, and there is a purpose for it. Don't want to bear fruit in it. Uh-uh. This is a side note I'll tell you. You know, a few, about a year and a half ago, I started, uh, when, when Tatum was born, I stopped going to the health club and bought some stuff and did it at home we moved this last time, I sold all that stuff because this house wasn't big enough for it. And I started going back to the health club again. And as I walked in the door to this health club I was going to join in, I, I felt like the Lord said to me, uh, you're here for more than to just work out. And, uh, and so I've been trying to be that. And I invite people to church, try to build relationships, try to build friendships with people. I've invited some some of them have come, some haven't. But whenever I'm busy and I'm in a hurry and I go in and one of these folks want to talk to me, I have to remind myself in the back of my head. I'm not just here to work out. I'm here because God's placed me here to build relationships. I've got to remind myself of that. Because what we're here to do isn't just to big, build bigger muscles. What we're here to do is do the work of the kingdom, wherever you're at. If you play golf, if you like to fish, if you're in the business world working, whatever it is, God has placed you someplace. And he doesn't want you to go in tomorrow and try to be Billy Graham and get up and stand on your desk and scream and preach. He wants you to build relationships. He wants you to begin to sow seed. He wants you to take advantage of the opportunities that you have and do the work of the kingdom. My friend, if you want to be certain, you want to have peace so when the enemy comes around and says, you're not really saved. Look at the fruit in your life. If you can look back and say, you know what? I used to be a nasty mouthed old guy and now God's changed me. I used to be this mean spirit and look how God's changed me. Hey, I used to not care about righteous things, and now look at what I what I I don't like those things that I used to be drawn to. Hey, I am in the process of being a working in the kingdom. You're seeing the fruit that's growing. And that fruit gives us assurance that God's working in us. Amen? Let's stand together today. Let's come down around the altar for a moment before we go home. This is how the kingdom of God works, friends. In the kingdom of God, paths get trampled on. In this kingdom that we live in, sometimes weeds grow up and try to choke out the truth. In this kingdom that we live in, sometimes there's rocks down there that are going to try to keep us from growing and being all that we're supposed to be. But in this kingdom that we live in, we can bear much fruit. Amen? Bless the Lord. Anybody have a word you want to share tonight? Here's your chance. praying for Stan and Stan Weber had a heart attack this week, we need to be praying for Stan Amen Father you know the need of every person around this altar today and we just come to this moment and, and we lift Stan up before you, Father you know the physical issues he's been facing, we pray you'd touch him, you know others who are sick at home and sick in the hospital that need your touch, we pray you'd touch them and as a as a people father i pray you'd help us to identify in our lives anyone or anything who is trampling down the ground in our life on the life of those that we love and influence help us to see it help us to understand it father if our if our roots aren't going deep because there's We haven't discovered who we are in you yet then tonight let us have this new revelation that we are your servants you're not ours that we live for your glory father we just pray in jesus name that father the worries of this world will not be allowed to come up and choke out your truth that we won't give in to father the pressures of this world and trying to fit in with this world and being a part of this world but that lord we will rejoice in being who you'd have us to be and we would grow in you and lord tonight i pray that the fullness of your fruit would grow in our life in our nature in righteousness father and in works we pray that we would be wholly yours Father, I know you want everyone in this room to bear much fruit, that you have great designs and plans for their life and for the fruit that you would have them to bear. And I pray you just pour your strength and your hope and your joy into their spirit to walk fully trusting you in all of these things. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. Greet some folks around you and go in the name of the Lord tonight.